Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here. Um, it is good to be able to come to the come to the church this morning with with the word of God and to be able to open up. Uh, we are back in the book of Genesis. We are back in the unstoppable blessing. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We are in Genesis chapter thirty-two. Genesis chapter thirty-two. If you've ever heard the word restoration, you know what restoration means. Restoration means taking something that's old and broken, possibly has lost its purpose along the way, and making it new. It means taking something and recreating and helping it to find its purpose. And if you turn on your TV, you're going to see shows dedicated to this process, whether it's HGTV, whether it's uh, you name it. There's so many ways and resources out there, people to tell you how you can repurpose, how you can change the, the way things are into the way things could be, the potential that exists within, within the things around us. And so often, we're quick to throw something out when there is purpose, when there is potential in it. And these shows are great. I love these shows, This Old House. I've, I've loved watching it for many, many years, and I've gained so much uh, insight into being a homeowner and just being able to handle things around the house. But one show that I ex- love... As a matter of fact, I grew up on this show, and uh, quick confession, it's not so much a restoration show as much as it, it's a sitcom, and they didn't really restore stuff as much as they blew stuff up, if you know Home Improvement. All right? First service, no one knew the show, so good for you guys. Now, if you grew up in the 90s like me, you know the show. You know Tim Taylor. You know the Taylors. You know uh, uh, the show Tool Time, all of the, 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 uh, the context behind it. Now, in that show, like I said, there was a lot of blowing up. It was just comedy. It was, it was fun. Um, Tim had a garage full of tools that he's always powering up, right? And he always tried to make it better and not necessarily. But one thing that always caught my attention. Now, I grew up in the Middle East where the show was aired. And so usually showed up a year after the show aired here. And so it was just a, a, a fun growing up with this. But one thing that I enjoyed when it comes to restoration, as Tim used to have, Tim Taylor, the character in the show, they had this old 1933 Ford um, Roadster that he got when he first got it, it looked like that. Now, on the show, it looked like a frame, a frame that was rusted out, it was broken, it was beat up, and eventually, somewhere, some, a couple of seasons into the show, it ends up as that. Now, you're looking at it going, whoa, what happened? How did that happen? And we look at the final product and we go, that's incredible. That's amazing. Well, we also have, we know that it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort into getting that, that car done. As a matter of fact, quick trivia, Tim Allen, who plays Tim Taylor, actually owns this car. The car was done as a project car during the show, and so they were able to restore it, and, and so the show, um, they, he has that car, and he, he, it's one of his prized possessions right now. Now, you look at that train, and one thing you realize is, Hey, it's meant for this car. 
right? If anyone with a trained eye would look at it and say, oh, that's a 1933 Ford uh, Roadster, and that could pass the potential of becoming one. But one thing you realize is it needs a lot of work. Just the chassis itself, just the frame itself, it has a lot of rust. It has a lot of pieces missing. It has a lot of spots. It has stuff that needs to be done in order you can't just put an engine on that frame and expect it to run. The engine's going to rip right through it. But so for it to be able to handle the engine, work has got to be done to that frame before it can get there. Now, that work, you can imagine, involves a lot of grinding. It involves a lot of redoing. It involves a lot of polishing. It involves, I don't know what it takes to get that frame to where it's supposed to be, but I can imagine it takes hours and days and days of work and hard manual labor. Restoration is hard. It's time-consuming. It's labor-intensive. It's costly. God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of taking things that are rotten, rotted out, broken shells, and making them into what they're supposed to be. And when I say them or things, I mean more specifically us. We are the sinful. We are the broken shells. We are the rusted out frames that have the potential of becoming what Christ wants us to be, becoming and living out our potential, living out our purpose, living out our will. And he takes what is broken, what was cast aside, what the world deemed belongs in, in the dump, and he takes that. He takes you and me. Well, we, we ourselves considered Un, unsalvageable, and he salvages it. He, he fixes it. He molds it. He welds it. He does whatever it takes to get us there. Second Corinthians chapter 5, this is what Paul writes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The ladies and gentlemen who took, who got baptized today. That is their story. They stood up in front of the church and said, my old has passed away and the new has come. God is doing that work of restoration in the midst of this church each and every day. And you are all a part of that story. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Jacob. And if there's someone who needed restoration, it is Jacob. We've seen his story. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how he has created a mess of his life and how he has become this empty shell of what he's supposed to be. He has, he's a deceiver. He is a cheat. He has, he has broken relationships everywhere he's gone. He's running from his family. He is running. He is, he's got wealth. But again, he's just, he's not where he's supposed to be. And we've seen the journey he's been taking, the journey of God doing the work of restoring a man, restoring a cheat, a, a deceiver. Most, of, most people around him would have cast him off, and God is doing that work. And so today, we're here in Genesis chapter 32. If you remember from last week, you remember that Genesis, uh, in Genesis 31, uh, he is running away from Laban. Laban was his father-in-law. 
and he, he makes peace in that situation. Laban goes his way, and Jacob is now coming back towards Beersheba. Beersheba is where God is calling him back to. If you remember Jacob's story, he was forced to flee the land of promise. And now God is saying, come back. He was the child of promise. He was the person that, has, that God had promised to his parents saying, out of him will come nations. Out of him will come the people like the sands of the sea. And here he is without purpose, wandering around. God's bringing him back. So let's, let's turn over to Jacob, uh, Genesis chapter 32. It's a long passage, so I hope you'll follow along either in your Bibles or on the screen in front of you. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw him, he said, saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He did, divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to one, the one camp and attacks it, then the other camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am now worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the, land of, the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and male donkeys. Then he handed over to his servant. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. And he likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the, so the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. All right, a lot has happened. A few things that we, we should pay attention to right at the beginning of the chapter. Jacob has left his father-in-law, left Laban, and he is making his way into the promised land. And as he does, a few days journey in, 
God meets him. God sends his angel and he looks up and he, God sends his angels and he looks up and he sees a camp full of angels around him. And he, so much so to, that he renames the place to Mahanim in, in, in simple words, two camps. I have my camp, I have my camp full of people, all the people that have come with me, but I also acknowledge and I recognize that God is here, that his angels are here, that there's an angel camp around me. And that the camp, while God has sent me out, he's not sending me out alone. He is sending me out with his presence. He's sending me out with the God, with the angels that are encamped around me. They're in front of me. They're behind me. They're around me. God is taking time in this journey to tell Jacob, saying, as you go, as you follow my instructions, as you return to your land, you're not going alone, but instead I am going with you. And it's important for us to remember that because as you, as you follow along in the scripture, you'll see that Jacob's for, Jacob tends to forget. Jacob forgets the God that is with him. As a matter of fact, you'll see that the, the next thing in Jacob's journey is to correct some things. It's to take a step and to address the elephant in the room. That is his brother Esau. The brother that he had cheated not once but twice. The brother from whom he ran away because that brother said, when my father dies, I'm coming after him. I'm going to kill him because he not only cheated me out of my birthright but also out of my inheritance. And so you can imagine Jacob is fearful and so he, he says, you know what, I have to fix this. Now, one may think that uh, Jacob is on his way back into, into the promised land and so, or into where his father lived, and so he has to make it it's a geographical thing. It really is not. Because Esau was living much further south, and there's no real geographical need for it, Jacob to make this peace. So you, can realize, you realize that it's a spiritual thing that God is doing, that God moves Jacob, to make peace with this brother. And so Jacob, in his own mind, he says, you know what? I'm going to send my messengers. Let Esau know that I'm coming. And so he sends and he says, and pay attention to the words. The same man who cheated his brother now is looking at his brother and saying, he's saying, Lord, I'm your servant. There's a transformation that has happened in Jacob already, that there is humility in here. And he's acknowledging, yes, I've, there's, things that we need to talk about. And so he sends his servants, the servants come back, and they say, good news, Esau's coming. Bad news, he's bringing 400 men with him. Usually, when someone brought 400 men with them, the, that meant war was coming. That was enough for a militia. That was the, their militia at that time. There was enough men to attack a village. And so Jacob He's afraid. He's fearful. And suddenly, as Jacob does, and you know how Jacob's character is, he, he starts thinking. He starts planning. He's strategic. He says, all right, let's put things into motion. What, he, what we're going to do here now is we're going to divide us up into two camps. Because he says this, if Esau catches up with one camp and he destroys them, at least the other will survive. So let's do this. Let's split off. Let's go in two different ways. As a matter of fact, just to let's see if we can appease, appease him. Appeal to his humanity. Maybe we'll send him a gift. So he gathers up his livestock. He gathers up his people. And he says, all right, part of this whole group, you're going to go as a gift. 
And so he sends them, and he sends them, he says, this is the present, so go in, go ahead of us, and as you go, Esau is going to ask you who you are, and where you're coming from, and who all these belong to, and when he says that, say, this is Jacob's gift to you, hoping that Esau's anger is appeased. He's still worried. He still knows that Esau is angry. And so we come to this place where Jacob is devising all these plans. But there's, this, there's a piece that we ought to pay attention to because he follows up all of this planning and he follows all of this up with a prayer. And in that prayer, it's a great prayer. But what you realize is there are two faces of Jacob. You see, Jacob prayed like it all depended on God. But he lived like it all depended on him. Jacob prayed saying, God, you have blessed me. You have kept me. You have promised me. And you are going to do this. And because you have said all of that, I am asking you to protect me. But then he's already devised all his plans. And God is not a part of that at all. So often we do the same thing, where we pray like it depends on God, and we proclaim our faith, and we proclaim, God, we know that you are our God. We know that you are our Jehovah. You, we know that you are our healer. We know that you are our provider, and yet we do things. And it's not that we aren't called to be wise, and we're not called to do the right things, but instead, where is our hope in that moment? What is our confidence in? Because Jacob's confidence is in his own abilities and not necessarily in the God whom he serves. See, Jacob makes the mistake of partly trusting in God, in God's restoration. Because God's restoration requires our complete trust. God's restoration, each of our lives, there's a work that is happening in your life right now. God is doing something in your lives right now. God's restoration requires two things. First is our trust. And not just our trust, our complete trust. You can place your confidence in things if, that you've built. You can place confidence in the things of your abilities and your ability to plan ahead and your ability to forecast and your ability to see things ahead of time. You can do all that. But what God is calling for is a complete surrender and saying, God, we trust you. If it's good or if it's bad, whatever comes, we trust you to take care of it. Cecilia Jimenez, I don't know if you know the name. She's a painter. She's a, re a restorer of old art pieces. She was in her 80s when she took on a project. In her church in Spain... There's a painting that hung, and that's the one that's going to show up on the screen. It's, it's a beautiful painting, and it's known as the Ecce Homo, Behold the Man, a picture of Jesus Christ. Over time, this was painted in the 1930s, and over time, this painting had degraded. It had come, it, it, because of the humidity and because of how it was stored, pieces of it started falling apart, and she was tasked, or she took on the task of restoring it. So the 82-year-old put, despite the best of her intentions, she set off to work, 
but her skills were not so up to the task. Two weeks of, or a few days of working on the painting, she decides, you know what, I'm gonna let it dry and I'm gonna go off on vacation and I'll come back and finish the work. But before she could come back, the media caught on onto the work that she was doing. This is the picture they showed of her work. Now, obviously, it's not completed, but public, the public had made up their minds. What was one, one's called the Ecce Homo, Behold the Man, the media proclaimed Ecce Mono, Behold the Monkey. And she would write, she, she, was, she was devastated by it and it led her to depression and all of that. And it's, it's a rough story to read, but, but there is some redemption in that. But here's it. Here's what we ought to take away. See, sometimes we place the task of restoration on the wrong person. Cecilia was not the person for this task. Sometimes you and I, like Jacob, say, you know what, we can take this on ourselves. The mess that I've created, the problems that I'm facing right now, the crisis that I'm in, you know what, who's good at solving those? Me. So you and I sometimes take on what is not meant to be ours and what is meant to be glorious and what is meant to point to Christ eventually turns up into being the opposite. We have moments that remind us that we can't restore ourselves. We're hopeful. We think we can. But the reality is we can't. God's restoration requires our complete trust in the one who is able to accomplish it. Yes, we trust him, but we trust the one who is able to do it. The one who designed us in the first place. The one who created us, who bestowed purpose, who bestowed the abilities, who, does, who gave us all of that. If he designed us, then he is able to restore us. And so often we rob God and say, you know what, let me handle it. And what he's saying is, let me do it. Place your trust in me. Let's continue in, in Genesis 32. We're in verse 22. The same night he arose and took two of his wives, he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Jacob sends his people 
his wives and his uh, children and his servants and his livestock, and he sends them ahead of him. They cross the, the Jabbok and they send him off, or he sends them off. And suddenly pay attention to what scripture says. Jacob was all alone. And in the midst of his loneliness, he's going to have the most important, the most seminal moments of his life. The moments that are going to change his, his path. The moments that are going to change how he perceives God. The moments that, he's, that, that are going to change how he perceives himself. And I bring this up for this reason. Because it's so often that you and I are uncomfortable with silence. We're uncomfortable when people leave and when everything has gone quiet. And we're so in a rush to get out of that. We surround ourselves with media and we surround ourselves with noise and we surround ourselves with people. We surround ourselves with friends when sometimes it is in the quiet that God speaks. It is in the quiet that God moves. It is in the quiet where he is looking for your attention. And so please don't hurry past it. Because it is in the midst of pain, it is in the midst of your crises that God is working the most. So suddenly in the midst of his loneliness, Jacob feels a grasp on his body. He feels a man just grabbing him and they start wrestling. And this wrestling was quite the match. It lasted all night long. If you can imagine, I can't last five minutes, let alone all night long. As the night wore on, the angel or the man who was wrestling with Jacob realized that Jacob's not going to give up easily. And so he does this. He merely touches the hip of Jacob and it goes out of socket. Suddenly, Jacob realizes, wait, this is no ordinary man. This is not a man that just, this is an extraordinary being. It's an angel of the Lord. And immediately, he realizes, wait, there's something unique about this situation. He realizes, wait, if the angel of the Lord is here, then his blessing and his presence is here. And suddenly Jacob switches gears. Instead of fighting the man, he starts clinging on to him. And the man says, hey, the sun's about to come up. Morning's here. Let me go. Let me, let me go so that I can, I can get away from this place. And he says, nope, I will not. He says, I'm going to cling on to you until you bless me. Here's a switch that happened. The man who boasted in his own strength. The man who proclaimed his own abilities now suddenly is begging this man for a blessing. What happened here? The man says, all right, if it's a blessing you want, that's, what's your name? And so Jacob says, well, my name is Jacob. See, in the context of the Bible, a name is much more than a name. A name is self-disclosure. A name is a revelation of your character. It reveals your identity, your deepest identity. So when, when Jacob is asked this question, what is your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. What he was saying is this. I am Jacob. I am named rightly so because I am a deceiver. I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, 
I have broken relationships. I have broken all things that were entrusted to me. I am Jacob. It was a confession that evoked a response from this man. And that response was one full of grace. He said, from now on, no longer, I hear you. Your name is Jacob. You're right. And that is who you are. That is your identity. That's what you have done. But from now on, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but instead Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You have fought man, you have fought God, and prevailed. His whole life has been one big wrestling match. He's fought with his brothers. He's fought even in the womb he was fighting. He fought, and he fought, he fought, and finally he fights God himself, and he's prevailed. How do you make a sculpture? Anyone know? You chip away all the pieces that are not part of it. It's simple. Just keep chipping away until the sculpture reveals itself. What Jacob doesn't know is that's what God is doing to him in this moment. God's restoration requires a step from, from us. God restores us in our breaking down. Here's, here's what, what's happening. Jacob comes in, he's left Laban, and he's heading towards, towards his father's house. He is a man with wealth. He is a man who is in control of everything. He is commanding all these people, and he's heading down. And in the course of one night, he is all alone. His people have gone ahead of him. His, everything that he, he counted as his accomplishments were taken away from him. That which he counted as comfort was taken away from him. Well, that's fine. And then this wrestling match begins. And suddenly the thing that he proclaimed that was his own, that was his strength, now that is taken away from him because what the angel did was touch his hip and suddenly he's limping. He's, he's broken. That is taken away from him. And not only does all his possession and his family leave, not only does his health leave, now suddenly his name, his identity, the angel looks at him and says, let me take that away as well. Systematically, Jacob is being reduced and he is being weakened and he is being weakened and he is being weakened for a purpose. You see, in that picture of the frame, while the frame looks like the frame of a car, there are a lot of pieces on it that don't belong. The rust that is attached so strongly has to be grinded off. The things that don't belong in a sculpture, the piece of marble, the block of marble, if eventually if for it to look like the sculpture it's supposed to, it needs to lose a lot of itself. And what the master or what the, the artist does is chips away, chisels away, prunes away, cleans away all that does not belong in that masterpiece. You and I are the masterpiece of God. You and I are the sculpture that God is at work. He is continually doing a work in us. And what he's doing in us right now is chipping away. He's pruning away. He is cleaning away everything that does not conform to the image of Christ in us. 
And so here's the story, here's something that we can take away from Jacob, is that know this, that as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, if you proclaim the name of Jesus, know this, the process is yours. You and I will go through the process of being broken down. You and I are going to experience the pain of the chisel. You and I are going to feel the bangs of the hammer. You and I are going to feel the brokenness that comes with it. And that is a part of our human story. That is a part of our Christian journey. The part of following Jesus is also the part of being sanctified. Sanctification is a term used in the New Testament to describe how, what God's work in us, God's work of taking away and God's work of building back up. Because not only does he take away, but instead he gives Jacob a new name. Instead, he gives Jacob a new identity, and he says, the old is past, and the new is formed. The new is you are Israel. You, out of you, the nations will come. Israel mean God, means God fights. In other words, your identity is in me. See, the blessing for Jacob came when he realized this, when he realizes that the one he was fighting was no mere human. When he realizes that the one he was wrestling was an angel of God, suddenly he switches gears and he says, I'm going to cling on to him as long as I can. So you and I are going to experience all the scars of our life. The blessing of life, the sign of a blessing from God is not necessarily the big house, the beautiful family, the flashy car, or all those things that we often think about. But instead, they're the scars that you and I carry around. The scars that you and I bear on our bodies, the scars you and I bear in our relationships, those scars reveal the work of God in us. You see, two things happen to Jacob after that fight, he walked away different in two ways. First, he walked away limping, Scripture says. Because when that angel touched him and put his hip out of socket, for the rest of his life, he was going to limp. He was going to walk with that pain. He was going to walk with that visual and that physical reminder of the moment he grappled and the moment he wrestled with God. There are some of us in this room right now who are wrestling with God. Some of us who are praying the all-night prayers, who are crying the angry cries, who are screaming out at God and saying, God, where are you? God, why are you not moving? God, why are you not doing this? Do you not see the pain I'm in right now? And he's saying, hold on. Cling on. Jacob's response to the fight was I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And so your response in the middle of your wrestling, in the middle of your fight, is simply this, hold on. Surrender to God. Because what Jacob did in that moment was he switched from wrestling to saying, you know what? I see the value, and he starts begging instead. He switched from fighting to begging. He surrendered his will, and he said, 
God, I'm going to cling to you until I find an answer. I'm going to cling to you until I get my blessing. Not only did Jacob leave with the limp, he left with the name. He left with his identity. God restores us in the middle of our breaking, but also God restores us as we cling to him, as he builds us back up. Surrender to God and don't let go of him. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. I don't know what your wrestle, what your fight is this morning. I don't know where you are and with your walk with the Lord and what, what crisis you're facing. Some of you have been through a crisis this week. Some of you, you know something's coming up. But don't be too quick to rush through it. Don't be too quick to rush through the pain because it is in the pain that God speaks. It is in the pain that God moves. James reminds us, count it all joy when you have trials and tribulations because those trials and tribulations are not just there. Instead, they're there for a reason. God is doing something in you, forming a new character in you, forming his image in you. And as he chips away at this little sculpture, know this, the masterpiece is going to reveal itself. That at some point, someday, and for all of us, it's going to take the rest of our lives for that work to be completed. But that work will be completed because we're reminded that the God who started the work is faithful to complete it. And he will take it to fruition. That is God's promise to you. That is God's commitment in your life. But in the moment, here's what we ought to do. See, God's, God's restoration requires two things. That we trust him, that we completely trust him, and that he sanctifies us. He sanctifies us in his breaking. He sanctifies us in our building. Know this, all of you are God's work in progress. So surrender and hold on. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word this, this morning. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in us as only you can. Thank you, God, that this work of sanctification is not our responsibility, but yours. Father, it's a weird thing to say thank you for our pain, but I thank you, Lord, because it is our pain, it is our scar that reveals the work that you have already accomplished. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through our pain, speak to us through our crises, speak to us through this cha the chaos that we may be in right now, and let, let us be reminded of the God that is faithful, the God who called Jacob out and moved him to his father's land. Lord, I pray that we would experience you just like Jacob did. Thank you, God, for your word. Speak and do in us as a leader.